HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul, The devil them rhythm and blues, that's him. It's gonna get you Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte, and in the studio today, we've got my good old buddy, Kevin Denton of Alder and New York City. Welcome back to the studio, brother. Hey, it's great to be back, Damon. Thanks a lot for having me. Heck yeah, man. Thanks for coming out here. It's uh, it's always a good time hanging out with you, and uh, it's always, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, uh, well, specifically this winter, because I can't, like, I can't really, like, get over the fact that, like, it's another winter in New York, and they're. It's like one of those times where you get kind of stir crazy, and I don't know, man. Like for me personally, like when when I'm coming up with cocktails and stuff, like you, like we we have like this overall kind of thought here in New York where it's like there's like a lot of escapism, even though we're like it's like a very metropolitan kind of thing, you know, like the the overall vibe of the city, but like. I think like what's been really cool lately is that uh you know as far as the like escapism with cocktails there's been like you know there's a lot of tiki stuff going on these days uh especially in, in New York City uh without an actual tiki bar um which is kind of an insanely interesting oversight maybe yeah but like I what I I think there's like an overall like kind of like playful idea of these type of cocktails and I've always liked your cocktails because you definitely like you do a lot of stuff that's like playful but like tongue in cheek too and like I know like especially when we start talking about like cocktail names it's like some pretty ridiculous stuff but it's always like really fucking awesome balanced uh forward thinking cocktails I mean like last time you were on the show you guys were just opening Alder and uh and we we talked quite a bit about that and like how like I know that like your your style of making cocktails you've got like a heavy sense of classicism, it, but then you you typically like 
push the envelope for with uh, a lot of so how how is the uh, the last like I guess it's been like a year and a, a year year and a half now that all has been open how's the progress of that place coming along well you know i think you make a really good point about the winter time and the seasonal affect that uh that kind of is a, a shroud that covers all of us in the winter time where you don't want to go out but you live in new york city so the fomo hits pretty hard so you drag yourself out through the muck, through the terrible weather, and then you find yourself in a position where you, you know, deep down you want to be convivial, but you also would much rather be binge-watching Quantum Leap for like seven hours, <laughs> you know, because he Cause, really is like the proto, show. yeah, he's like the proto <laughs> David Duchovny, you know, he was a <laughs> sex symbol, little like edgy, but, um, you know, I, I think that it's been a really great year and a half it's been uh bittersweet to uh send off wd-50 um uh bitter in the fact that it was very much is the uh the end of an era of a place that allowed people uh without much thought to uh, you know the bottom line to really explore and be creative do whatever it is they want if you want to figure something out do it a thousand times and if you dump it down the drain 999 times that was okay and uh, to have uh, a boss like that was truly a blessing, truly a one, once-in-a-lifetime sort of engagement. Um, at Alder, you know, we, we have a good combination of being a destination of people that are coming specifically to eat Wiley's food. Uh, but also, it's in the East Village uh, on a pretty... Uh, you got you got some pretty good like traffic, you know, like There's, as far as like foot traffic goes. Yeah, it's um I think more so than than WD50, right? With without a doubt, uh Clinton Street, you know, was it's changed significantly, you mm-hmm. know, since I moved to New York 10 years ago. That was sort of St. Jerome was kind of the uh the hinterlands of where I would explore in uh in 2003, 2004. Uh but now, you know, apparently we need luxury condominiums on Clinton Street, so uh yeah the times are changing. Um, and you know, the block that we exist on in with Alder is, uh, is a little desolate having like the 13th step and some of those like collegey, um, rump shaker bars. Um, not that there's anything wrong with it, but, uh, it, it definitely makes some of the walk through traffic interesting, but we do have some phenomenal, uh, regulars and phenomenal neighbors that come in and, uh, and we're able to, give you that cheers vibe where like when you come in i know what you're drinking i know you know what's been going on in your life and that's some of the best parts of bartending that's why i've been doing it for so long because i love that convivial convivial familiar spirit that exists when you come back to the same place all the time but we also give you that added flair of we're always kind of pushing and doing something a little bit different um i kind of have always tried to approach my menus like I don't want to say that I do it strictly seasonally but like you know I'll make a big change and I kind of try to do it like Neil Young records like you know everyone's going to be a little bit different one might be a complete flop Uh, you know some of them are going to appeal to certain people and not to other people but they've got something that's familiar about all of them and then uh insofar as like cocktail naming i think that's probably the hardest part but it's also the 
that's the hook, right? You know, you're yeah. before you even see it, before you know what's going on, you're reading something. And if you, because I use a lot of weirdo ingredients, you may not know what all those things are. But if it's uh, if it's a funny tongue-in-cheek name or something that's kind of clever or, or offbeat, then at least you know it's it's baited the hook a little bit, and you might be more inclined to ask about it. Yeah. So, I mean, like I think that like, well, first of all, like well, with Alder, it's like. My thing is like I don't like dark bars. Yeah, I mean like well, there's there's time for it, you know. But like I I like like natural light, and you guys have like the big windows in the front, and the bars right there behind those those front windows, so it does give it more of like a a more welcoming kind of vibe, you know. And like you said, you know, like kind of a Cheers vibe, you know. What's cool about that too is like to me, it's like you know you've got the uh, you've got like a pretty like extremely hardcore like cocktail program going on. But at the same time, you don't want it to be like exclusive. You want you want it to be in, like impressive and important, I guess, to a certain level. But at the same time, you don't want it to be totally exclusive to where you're like kind of like kicking people out of the vibe. And like like you were saying, like you use a lot of weirdo ingredients, like and especially like when you go back to that cheers vibe. Like, do you do you find that um, like when you change menus, do you have people come in? And order cocktails from like previous menus. Yeah, uh, I don't want to blow a spot up too much, but um, one of our big regulars, who's just fantastic, is Aaron Neville, and uh, he. No lo- shit. Yeah, it's <laughs> cool. it's so like Richard Hell and Aaron Neville come in with some regularity, and I guess if I that's were to awesome. pick two people to be regulars, that's pretty awesome. That's such a cool duo. weirdo combo, right? <laughs> So I keep, uh, he loved the Burnt Reynolds, which is um, a Boulevardier with um, smoked vermouth. And um, so I just keep it for him, you know, and I like have a batch made. And then a lot of the um, the pantry items that were part of previous drinks, I just kind of keep in my back pocket and clutter stuff up with. But when those people come back and ask for it, you know, barring, you know, the really seasonal stuff, like if it's good, uh, if it's good fruit or things that only happen in the summertime obviously i'm not going to keep that sure. stuff around i'm not going to use it if it's from riviera or whatever but um but being able to recreate those things for people that it obviously had an impact on them that's something that i'm uh that i'm happy to do and inclined to do um at the same time um as soon as people get too comfortable with something that's when i want to change it sure cuz it's obviously time to to shake things up and to do something a little differently. Or, or stir them. Again. <laughs> that sweet bartender humor. Um, and, uh, you know, there there is something to be said, you know, back to your original point about when you're in the doldrums like this, when, you know, you're in Smarch, which, you know, is like, to me, the deepest, darkest, most depressing month. Sure. Um you know, you have to find a way to appeal to to that hope that, you know, spring is around the corner. Mm-hmm. Even though the ingredients aren't that great right now, you know, you're not getting fresh stuff. You're not getting stuff that's really... You can only put beets in too many cocktails. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But um, but you do have some, some, you know, some good citrus has a little bit of life left, um, which is bright and refreshing. You have some uh, some herbs that you can use year-round that you can grow inside, so you can start to reintroduce. I think spring is probably the most difficult month 
are a difficult season to sort of play to because you haven't like nothing is really growing yet you haven't experienced it but there's the anticipation of it yeah and, you want yeah. it you just want it so bad after all this and we've you know we've had a couple winners in a row here in new york that have just been brutal um so you know we've i've got a couple things going on in the next week or so that i think are going to appeal to that that are <clears throat> somewhere a little more familiar and then one that's going to be uh real far out cool man yeah i love far out yeah um so speaking of far out you know like the uh like you're saying you know like when it, when you're coming up with like a cocktail name and 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 a recipe i mean like you and i are both musicians and uh I know that in the past we've talked about uh, coming up with with recipes and the the influence of like just having a really solid name. You know, even if it's something that's funny and like quirky and tongue in cheek or like a pun on something like the Burnt Reynolds, you know, right? Something like that. Do you, I mean, like you still like pull pull quotes and uh, and titles and album names from uh, from. For the music world to uh, inspire the uh, the cocktails, right? Oh, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, uh, Phil Ward, who, you know, we both know and is a great influence when, uh, and he was a great mentor of mine when he was, uh, when I was working at my OL, uh, he always talked about when he was stumped for a name, he would just go to the bookshelf yeah. and just start scrolling through and, and picking from there. And, uh I think that there is great value in that because it relates back to a story, you know, or it relates back to a time and a place. And then um, getting really meta, you know, when you're referencing uh, old cocktails, like when you're revamping classics or you're putting your own spin on it, taking whatever that name is and uh, tweaking that a little bit. You know, we've got one of our most uh, popular drinks right now is called um, Suffering Fools. Um, which is a subversive way for me to sort of, you know, it's it's the crowd pleaser. It's a riff on a suffering mm-hmm. bastard. Sure. And, like, who doesn't like whiskey and ginger? Right. Um, and nobody's necessarily going to get the suffering bastard reference other than bar people. Um, but, it, again, it is, like, a little subversive. You can say nerds. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. And, you know, it's for the nerds to say like oh well this is like our little joke yeah you know about what this is you know and uh and you know hopefully the guest gets a laugh out of it too it falls on deaf ears many times but you know you have to keep yourself entertained yeah do you do you ever um speaking of like uh like writing recipes based on like like song titles or albums or bands or you know whatever um do you ever find yourself as a musician, like, when you're, like, hanging around, like, playing those songs, do you ever, like, does it ever work, like, in reverse, where, like, you're, like, say you're playing, you know, like, Tumbling Dice by the Rolling Stones, and you have a Tumbling Dice cocktail, just for an example, like, does it ever make you want to drink that cocktail? Well, so, um, <laughs> yes, and... When uh, you're not, like, busy singing into <laughs> a microphone? I, uh, on, on my last record, uh, I have a tune called Campari and Soda. Yeah. That uh, you, you guys, you know, can put in the rotation anytime you want. Full permission. You hear that, Jack? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was one. Like I, there's a few times where, other than like 
the the white guy blues stuff where they talk, you know, reference the whiskey and, you know, one bourbon, one scotch, one beer. Like, you know, those are general things. But I think, you know, if writing songs is about speaking about your life, you know, and, and being confessional about what's going on, like, I want to be straightforward about you know, this is what I drink, you know, like when the chartreuse song happens, it's, it's going to be a big old sloppy mess, but it's going to have, <laughs> you know, I think it'll be like a John Cale song. Cause I would imagine that would be, if I drink chartreuse, I think, Oh, John Cale would probably have this, you know, it's right. like Paris 1919. Um, and I mean, I like, I always, always have a fireball and diet Coke when I play my own song, fireball and diet Coke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I get it, man. And I think that there's... Some, and I'm just trying to be honest, you know. As well you should, you know. And I think that there's merit in, um, you know, what's really struck me about this industry and about the um, the genesis of a drinking culture uh, that's, you know, cocktail-driven, that is redefining what it is to... Uh, to drink socially to drink as a lifestyle um you know we are diving into this minutiae into these old spirits into these like weird things into these uh, arcane uh mixtures and if you can start to bring that into um into the culture a little bit beyond just uh having a conversation across the bar it's like i'm i'm writing about it i'm you know, making music about it. I'm I'm bringing it more into the fore. Like if I read old books and people are talking about having a Dubonnet, then I immediately know what that is and I can relate to it. Um, if I hear a song and someone's talking about, you know, we were drinking absinthe, um, and if they mention one specifically, then that's the light's going to go off and I'm going to say, I can relate to that. I know what that person is talking about. Sure. It's and, like when, when Hemingway talks about drinking like Finlo, you know, it's like, dude, Really? You guys are just hanging out drinking brandy and water all yeah. day? It's awesome. <laughs> right. But but it's a it's a a time and a place and an occasion and it's but it's part it's like kind of like intertwined with the day in, day out kind of like the unofficial schedule, you know. Sure. And you, like we were talking about Kingsley Amos before, like there were there was a um you know, maybe they're anti-heroes, maybe they're rapscallions, maybe they're um, a little less than desirable characters, but I think a lot of us, you and I included, gravitate towards those characters. And because they are making good art and they're making uh, uh, powerful statements or they're making great observations, and they do so in the context of what they were eating and drinking in a specific way, then if you care about those things, all of a sudden it gives that much more texture and that much more color. Yeah, and I think that you're absolutely right. You know, like, I feel like food and and drinks are just, they're kind of like the most important thing in life. You know, like, the very first industry job that I had, and I've, I've kind of recounted this probably too many times, but the, uh, the first chef that I ever heard say anything extremely, to me at least, uh, profound about, like, the industry, or just like the... The, the contents in the context of of what it is he said the most romantic thing you can do with another another person is share a meal and I don't know it resonated with me very hardcore and I always say that like the the two nicest things you can do for another human being is cook for them and listen to them 
And, you know, I think there there's a lot of, I don't know, it's just life. It's like, first of all, it's sustenance, you know, like, well, yeah. the food side anyway. That's but easy like, to relate to. Yeah. But, like, but the, the drink side is, that's kind of like, there's like the living part, like the life preservation part, and then the living life. There's, I, I don't think there's any, like, more profound moment than you can have with a person outside of, like, being born or dying than like having a, a drink with someone or being intimate with them well sure I mean like yeah but that's I do that all the time with L- everyone lucky <laughs> <laughs> alright we're getting weird uh, <laughs> no well, I, I think that um, <clears throat> the point to be made uh, it, to amplify that statement is um, we, we've seen an arc of development in, in the drinking culture where it was something that everybody did all the time for a long time and it was very rich and it was vast and it was part of the culture and then you had these dark ages for a few decades where um where things became freeze-dried and sort of pushed in i would say pushed into the darkness where it was not about uh uh community it wasn't about conviviality it wasn't something that could be celebrated it was something that uh was you know maybe a little fratty, maybe a little dark. You know, I blame the excesses of uh, of the 70s and early 80s that really made these things less desirable. And here you have um, a moment in time where we're starting to rediscover the joys of these things, where it isn't necessarily tied to excess. It isn't necessarily tied to destruction. It can actually come back into the light a little bit. Yeah, I think there's there was... I, it was you, you're exactly right man like the, the excesses and also just like the irresponsibility of it I think if you're doing if you're living in that kind of lifestyle and if you're doing things responsibly like I'm doing air quotes for the listeners out there um, I think I think it's totally a passable thing like you know when when you hear about like 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 so you go to Germany and you have like a vice first in the morning and a, and a, a half a vice and totally normal man right but it's like but you didn't have three of them you had like you know not even a half liter you had like a like a 300 milliliter uh glass of of hefeweizen along with your vice versa and you go about your day you know and and living in europe was like i don't want to sound like one of those people that's like oh in europe they do it all better but there was something to be said about we just fucked up man we fucked up bad we screwed it up and like we're hopefully we can get back to the point where you can enjoy something like that. You can enjoy a glass of wine with lunch, and no one's going to bat an eye at you because you you pick that wine because you love it, you enjoy it, you might know something about it, you're happy about it, and it's going to be a great compliment to it. Yeah. I don't think that... Um, I think that it is um, a sign of sophistication if you do care about what you're putting in yourself... You know, and whether it's, you know, stigmatized as, oh, why are you drinking it at noon? It's like, well, I may be having a glass of wine, but I'm also having food that I care how it was prepared. I'm spending the money because I know this person cares about what's going into it. And I'm having this uh, beverage because it's a great compliment to it. And And that's the bigger overall picture. You know, it's like it's I think I love that. I love the idea of that. Like when it's when the, the food and the beverage go well together and there's just the right amount. It doesn't have to be like completely going overboard with it. It's like that's these should go together. 
and then you have fun and like you know who doesn't who's not in a better mood after they have a glass of wine you know you i'm not i don't know <laughs> i mean <laughs> seems sure, pretty somebody. cool yeah. yeah like dude i okay so like this morning i had a uh, film shoot at at prime meets mm-hmm. and we were doing a uh, a shoot basically it's for Connie Nash traveler Matt Hrannick, awesome, awesome guy. He uh, was shooting this thing, and he's doing a series of these classic cocktails, but, like, modern riffs on them. So mm-hmm. we did the, the Prime Manhattan, which is the Manhattan that we have for, for Prime Meads. Mm-hmm. And the real difference about it is that it's... I, I make a bitters out of Buddha's hand, and I use a lemon twist on it because it's kind of like more citrus-driven classic Manhattan. It's yep. two to one, a few dashes of the Buddha hand bitters that I make. And... Th- I mean, I, I didn't I didn't have one, but he was like, "No, nah, let's shoot that again," <laughs> you know. Like, so I had to make a few of them. But we we had lunch after that, and we had some steaks. And I was like, "Dude, let's have some of the the Frankies." Like, we we've got this uh, Valpolicella that we started uh, having produced for us, you know. And like, the bottle didn't the bottle was never emptied. Yeah, you know, and that's a good sign. For lunch, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but but like it was like, all right, we're gonna we're just having this wine and we're tasting it to go with the food, with these steaks. And it was perfect. And no one necessarily like even got to the bottom of their glasses. And it wasn't so it's not about like actually like drinking this for the effect. It's about like the actual pairing. I love that. Yeah. And you know, it I would rather have that than a Diet Coke, you know. Well yeah. Um I think there is a, a tremendous merit in understanding the context of what you're drinking and when and why and where, you know. And uh, I think that, you know, if I was to ever do a book, it would be a field guide to what to drink, where, when, and how. Because, you know, when whenever someone says, what should I drink, you know, it's one of those questions that I hear a hundred times every day. And the question I always follow with is, well, how are you feeling? Like, where are you at in your day? Yeah, sure. You know, like, if you're about to, you know, go break up with your girlfriend, something different. If you're about to uh, go on, you know, a celebratory binge, if you're in a contemplative place, if you have to go home and do some work, if you're, like, it's all situational. And situational understanding allows guys like you and I to be better at our jobs because we have a sense for here's where you're at. We know all the stuff behind us. We picked it. We we purchased it. We uh, we've worked with it. We've tasted it. We've thought about it. We've learned about it. You know, to some of us to great lengths. You know, and I think that that is overlooked uh, in our industry. Is we've got a lot of these. You know, as you say, nerds that go really deep in understanding a lot of products, and they have this broad palette. And this broad uh, spectrum of understanding of things that they can sort of prescribe to you for the right situation. And it's we would be remiss as an industry to not engage someone in, where are you at? What do you like? I'm not drinking. So stop asking me, well, what do you like? Because I'm going to say, yeah. I like this. And you're yeah, going to say. You're going to say, why are you buying me a drink? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter what I like to drink. Yeah, you're paying for it. So, yeah. and you know, I understand that because I drink Fireball and Diet Coke. Yeah, and <laughs> I will never understand that. But. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. 
Um, uh, so, okay, well, on that note, like, what's, uh, just, what's your, what's your, like, go-to? I mean, like, you know, we, I know that you and I and a lot of, uh, just tons of people like us who work in the industry or who are just, like, uh, interested uh, enthusiasts, you know, we all kind of have, like, our, our go-to drink, right? Mm-hmm. And I know it changes, like you are saying, like, situationally, like, like, I know that, like, when I get off work from a long shift, I don't necessarily, maybe I don't want a cocktail. Maybe I don't want a glass of wine. Maybe I just want a beer. Whatever. But mm-hmm. that does change. What's your, like, what's your, like, go-to? Mezcal. Yeah? Yeah. Easily. Um, I think it's the most dynamic category. I think that um, it will be um, to our generation, or to the generation that's coming up and drinking now, what... Um, what malt whiskey was to previous generations. Interesting. I think that um, the category is becoming more and more diverse. There's a lot to take in. And and honestly, it's, it's kind of expensive. So the good stuff is pricey. So you have these like banker types that want to show off that they're spending some money. Um, I find that the way that Mezcal makes me feel is like positive and up, whereas if I'm drinking malt whiskey, it mellows me. Um, and I think that you you take the connotation of someone who was drinking uh, tequila in college to get crazy, and you know they've matured and they've come you know a long way from that. They still like the way that the tequila made them feel, but you know they're out on their expense account and they want to try something different. Right. And the category is again, it's so diverse, and no two mezcals are alike. Um, I think it, and there's a barrier to entry, which I also kind of like. You know, yeah. someone's not going to have that first sip of mezcal and say, "Oh, I love this." You know, give me more of this. They're going to say, uh, "It's smoky," and like <laughs> I hardly taste the smoke anymore because <clears throat> now it's wow, this is salinic. It's wow, very this deep. is. It's uh, if you want to get contemplative about a spirit, I think that's an easy one to go real deep into. Um, and I also like that, you know. You, you have a little like half ounce copita of it every once in a while. There's, there's a, you know, yeah, I totally agree, and I, 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 I love the ritual of of drinking mezcal too. I yeah. think it's there's something. I, I think that I know that like most drinks, most most tipples that you will have, there there should be kind of like a way to drink it, and I think that's 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 important too. It's not like. Just uh, being a booze hound and like slugging whatever, slugging them. Yeah. But like, but the uh, the ritual of of drinking mezcal is really really cool. Having the little terracotta like copitas, and just like knowing the history of like all the single villages and like, it's it's really cool. I'm glad you said that because, um, actually, was it last week, Jack? We had uh, Jamie Salas. Is it Jaime? Jaime or Jamie <laughs> from uh, yeah. from Milagro? Uh, and we were talking about, like you were saying, that it's an expensive category, but it's actually not. I mean, like when you think about it, it's like, and and he was saying that the uh, w- like, whereas like where we, you see like value and age for like spirits like whiskeys and brandies, and you see like all the age happens after they're produced, right? But the production of Agave-based spirits, tequilas, mezcals, it's all in growing the plant for sure. like a decade. You yeah. Know? So I get it, man. I I I respect 
that side of the cost, you know. But I think it's it's you're definitely right. I think it's really cool. It's one of the spirit categories I'm most excited about too. What about cocktails? Like as far as like I mean like of course like going for the straight spirit after a, a nice shift is is really good. But like what's your like go to cocktail? Um, like everybody else in the uh, in the industry right now, I love daiquiris. Um, I really fell in love with um, Florida Cana daiquiris when I was in Nicaragua. Um, be, I think because. Uh, that country was on the U.S. shit list uh, <laughs> for for those dark days. Um, they never had the um, the powdered sour mix and all the other stuff that infected the Caribbean and made drinks culture there suck so badly. Yeah. So when I was traveling around the country, going to hotel bars and and other like even just like small divey spots, like everybody was using fresh juice. They had. You know, most of the bartenders that were there were guys in their, you know, 40s and 50s that had been doing it forever. And they weren't necessarily jiggering. They weren't necessarily, they just had the experience of doing it for so long that yeah. they were making delicious drinks. It's like jazz, dude. It was all instinct. Yeah. And yeah. and they never lost the tradition the way that other places. Like, yeah. you go to, uh, oh, hell, what is the place in uh, in Old San Juan where the pina colada was invented? I, I, I can't remember right now. <laughs> I, yeah. You go to a lot of it's, or you go to Hotel Monteleone, you know, 10 years ago. And yeah. like the place where these eponymous drinks were created and they like just managed to suck it up now and like yeah. mass produce it. And it's just not great. Um, having a, a tradition that sort of weathered the storm um, was really great. And I think the rum is delicious and, you yeah. know, whether or not it's. Uh, good for the for the country or whatever you know you see Florida Kanye signs everywhere and it's cheaper to buy a bottle of rum than it is to buy a coke so um but i i do like that cuz it's or a, a diet coke or a diet coke and fireball, fireball. <laughs> <laughs> at least he didn't say diet coke and vodka cuz that's that's a special kind of <laughs> that hell that is a thing yeah <laughs> um i uh you know i i very much enjoying Negronis. I used to live uh, in Tuscany for a little while, and um, I had a very Napoleonic um, hotel owner that I worked for that uh, forced those down my throat. And I was like, why do you <laughs> like Negronis and Grappa and Amaro? And I'm like, you people like this stuff? You know, the first couple of times is so gross. But again, it's that barrier to entry again. It's like yeah. you uh, you graduate into the club and then you're like, now I get it. Like this, this was yeah. a little more difficult. And that's why it's you gain that appreciation for it. Um, I think that there is a lot of continuity in um, in what people in our industry gravitate towards because it's some of the best stuff. Um, I, I love a margarita. The whole country loves a margarita. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, I make it a rule whenever I go to any restaurant or bar, um, that I order off their list because I know someone put the time and effort into coming up with those things and far be it from me to say, well, I'm just going to have this thing I can get anywhere. Like, you're missing the point and you're sort of you're being short-sighted in the way that you're approaching someone else's uh craft yeah um so you know does that mean that i have some uh less awesome drinks every once in a while sure but like everybody's trying you know like there's 
Oh, yeah. hell, and it's it's a hell of a lot cooler than it was 15 years ago. <laughs> Without a 10 doubt. 10 years ago, 5 years ago, whatever. And you don't have to like everything, you know, and yeah. someone may love that, and it may be something that they're excited about. Like, there are certainly a bunch of duds that I've put on menus in the past that I've thought, well, this is cool, and like... You know, when the one person comes in is like, hey, do you guys still make that Mingus cocktail? And I'm like, you might be the one person on the planet that like that. <laughs> so, nice. um, you know, I, but again, I, when I'm at home, I think I drink uh, aged rum uh, quite a bit. When I am going out to bars, then again, I'll, I'll try a cocktail, but I'll have a little mezcal sidecar because mm-hmm. that makes me happy. Um, I very much enjoy um, drinking weirdo wine. I like sherry. I, I like it all. And I think as it's sort of my responsibility being a, a professional in this business to just try it all. Of course. Well, you have to taste everything. That's for sure. It's a hard job. Yeah. It's real tough. <laughs> well, you know what? It's been really tough uh, talking with you today, um, <laughs> which is totally not anything I would ever say ever. Um, you know, normally on this show, we... Uh, we take a break halfway through. No breaks. We did not take a break today because it's just it's so great to have you in the studio. We we burned right through it. Unfortunately, we've uh, run out of time today. But God damn it, Kevin, it's great to have you in the studio. You're you're an awesome dude, and uh, can't wait to come see you at Alder. Oh, you're doing a a benefit for a Black Crescent tomorrow, right? Yeah, if we could throw a little plug in there, um, we had uh, good friends of ours had a, their bar burned down, had a terrible electrical fire last month, so. Um, uh, my band and another couple great bands are going to be playing at pianos at 7 o'clock uh, tomorrow evening. Um, There's going to be confetti cannons. There's going to be costume <laughs> changes. It's going to be the greatest light of, light, night of anyone's life. So uh, if you can come down, it's only 12 bucks and it's a, a very good cause. At pianos tomorrow night? 7 o'clock. Cool. And the band's the crooners? Uh, it's actually Denton. It's my solo act. So. Oh, you're doing the... Uh, cool, yeah, man. you're going to cool. hear Campari and Soda right off the bat. Righteous, man. Well, <laughs> thanks again for coming into the studio today. It's always a pleasure to have you here. In. And uh, go check out Kevin at Alder in New York City. And thanks again for coming, man. Thank you very much. All right. Till next week, check out HeritageRadioNetwork.org for many other programs like this. Until then, cheers. Listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 